Welcome to the Golden Age of Optimism. My name's John Charles Harmon, and we're continuing with the podcasts. I'm an optimist. I've not always been an optimist, but I am an optimist now. The reason I started this podcast, I've explained before in some of the other podcasts, is because my book, An Ultimate Guide to Happiness, is doing really well, and some of the readers asked me to put it in audio form. So I figured I'll do it with a podcast, and I decided at the time I would also put some of my novels into podcasts. I do not need the money from the sales of books anymore. I actually am a philanthropist, and I run a charity with my wife in Bahia, in Brazil, or one of her, her home city, actually. And we feed about 350 to 400 uh, poor children meals twice a week. We do this with our own funds. So I'm not here to ask for donations or GoFundMe or any of that stuff. And I am not here to give you political opinions about a bunch of stuff. There are some opinions about certain things in some of the books, but mostly through the characters. And I've trained a lot of athletes over the years. I'm a kinesiologist. My degree is in kinesiology from UCLA. So I have an insight into a lot of different aspects of society. Now, I just want to reiterate how these podcasts work. Now, they're on Spotify, Apple, different formats have different podcasts. But in general, they all go in chronological order from the oldest podcast to the newest podcast. The reason for that is because there's a lot of political pundits and other people's celebrities doing podcasts, giving you their opinions about their life as they go on. That is not the case here. I am putting my books in audio form. So you may want to find the button on whatever app it is and switch it around so that you see the oldest one at the top and the newest one at the bottom. The reason for that is because there are episodes. Episodes, you'll see, are basically the chapters, sometimes one or two or three or four chapters, but they go in chronological order. For example, in the last book, which is one of my more popular novels, Blood and Butterflies, the first episode is the beginning of the book. The last episode is the end of the book. And I'm reiterating this now because I'm seeing that a lot of people are going straight to the last episode and listening to that. That's sort of like going to a movie and watching the last 10 or 15 minutes of a movie. It's going to blow the whole book for you. But if you really want to get the full value out of it, you have to start listening from the first episode. So once again, episodes are the chronological order of the books. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Sometimes there'll be seven or eight or nine episodes. It depends on the length of the novel that I'm reading. So we're going to start today with my autobiography, which is called Sitting on a Log. I really did not want to read this one in until maybe at the very end, but I'm waiting for a couple of my books that were out of print because they sold out with Amazon to come in the mail. So we're going to start with my book, Sitting on a Log. Introduction. 
This book is dedicated to the memory of my mother, Josephine Mary Polka. She had 10 brothers and sisters. I have many cousins. I have very little contact with any of my cousins, mainly because my mother and father migrated to California in 1951 when my mother was pregnant with my older sister, Janice, and the majority of my relatives were back in Michigan, and still most of them live in Michigan. My Aunt Frances was my favorite aunt. She was always perky and full of life. She was one of the younger siblings in my mother's family. I have thought about calling her, but I decided against it for now because I'm not sure that the story I'm going to tell would do anything but maybe break her heart, and I don't want to do that. If by chance some of my cousins or other relatives do find their way to reading this book, then they can make their own decisions. My grandfather from my mother's side of the family died at a young age, leaving my grandmother and the older children, one of which was my mother, to care for the others. Ten brothers and sisters, that's a lot of people to care for. My grandparents were immigrants from Poland and left just before World War I. Do you know that in World War II, there were more Poles killed than any other people? I guess in a way, my grandfather, though, he died young. And maybe when he was in America and he died young, he had made the right choice. Or, or otherwise, maybe none of us would be here today, myself or my relatives. This book is mostly my autobiography, but I sometimes allude to other subjects of interest to me. Not often, but once in a while I do. Though my autobiography is interesting, adventurous, and filled with many encounters with so-called, quote, famous people, unquote, we all know most autobiographies are just folks pounding their chests and bragging about how great they are. I want to avoid that, so I write a bit differently. Quite obviously, I am not Gandhi or Mother Teresa, though I do admire them both, and you will find that out later on. Like everyone on earth, I am a walking ghost of the past, my past, my relative's past, and I'm carrying my own unique spirit. I take the journey of life as I see best, and I live with no regrets. Obviously, my tales are from a subjective point of view. There are parts I may omit or not recall exactly the way they happen, but that is part of all autobiographies. I am telling this story because I need to tell it for myself, for my own healing, for the healing of others. There is a mystery involved that has had a profound effect on me and others in this story. I want to share with others an experience that may encourage them to think about how they live their lives. I also include in this book part of the biography of my Uncle Glenn is told to me and recorded. I've already included that in the podcast, and I won't go into it too much. I also have practiced Nichiren Shoshu Buddhism since I was 19 years old, and I've learned a lot about the value of appreciation by practicing Buddhism, but I'm still sort of working on the value of forgiveness. Yet, I'm not really that concerned if I learned that much about forgiveness overnight. I'm sure eventually it will come. Before I delve into the stories, though, I believe readers will enjoy them. I, I want to touch on the significance of my Buddhist practice with Nietzsche and Shosha in relationship to the concept of 
quote, freedom, unquote. America is a nation of laws, and our founding fathers based our Constitution on what they called, quote, natural laws, unquote. We know these as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Three natural laws, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This exact same concept was exposed by Nichiren Daishonin in the 1200s in Japan. At that time, he taught the universal law of devotion to the mystic law of cause and effect through sound or vibration. Our practice is to chant this law, Nam-myoho-ren-ge-kyo, to a scroll that's issued by a priesthood and embodies and expounds these laws. It's a religious practice, much more than a religious belief, though there is belief involved. I have found Nichiren Shosha Buddhism to be extremely scientific, and that is naturally in accord with what I do as a scientist and a kinesiologist. Laws are constant in science and cannot be changed. What is interesting is that Nichiren Daishonin revealed from his studies of the writings by the historical Buddha, Shakyamuni or Siddhartha, who started Buddhism in India centuries before, that not only can common mortals attain the condition of enlightenment, but that inanimate, inanimate objects, plants, and other life forms can also attain enlightenment. In other words, your pets can be enlightened. The concept of the simultaneity of cause and effect is a concept in physics, and that influences everyone and everything. The Daishonin clarified conservationism and enviro environmentalism by revealing this law of myo ho ren ge kyo I have always had an affinity towards trees. This is a fact. I like trees. I take pictures of them. Sometimes I just stare at a particular tree. To me, trees, they seem to have unique personalities. I decided when writing this book to include some information about various types of trees in the introductions of some of the chapters, and you'll see why as we go on. This is the revised version of this book, which I started to write in 2012. I'm a bit older now, hopefully a bit wiser, and surely in a better place mentally. I am not including many of the adventures from the past five or six, seven years. That is not to say there have not been any worthy of telling, but for now, I think I would rather just leave most of them in my memory and not put them on paper. I will say that as a Democrat and a liberal Democrat for almost all my life and my family also, that I campaigned both times for Obama when he ran for president. When Hillary Clinton ran, I could not campaign for her, even though the Democratic Committee and the Palisades wanted me to donate our offices for her campaign, I refused. I just could not do it because I, I had a bad feeling about her and I never really liked Bill Clinton that much. I, w I didn't like any politician that never had an actual real job in life. These politicians that spend their whole life in politics and don't work in the real world, really, just they don't, they don't appeal to me. So I, I supported Trump. He got elected and then he got kicked out. But that's just the way it goes in politics. 
I do believe in my country. I do believe in freedom. I do believe in freedom of speech and all those other things that make up our great country of America. So chapter one, what is in a name? History, with its flickering lamp, stumbles along the trail of the past, trying to reconstruct its scenes, to revive its echoes and kindle with pale gleams the passion of former days, unquote. Sir Winston Churchill wrote that. March 31st, 2012, that was my 57th birthday. I said to myself, 57 and on my way to heaven. No, most likely not, but it sounds good. I guess that is to remain to be seen, though. There's a quote in our Buddhism which says, quote, heaven and hell exist in the five-foot frame of a man, unquote. Well, people were smaller back in the Buddhist days, but you could say six-foot nowadays, I guess, but I think we all understand the point. No matter what religion we are, heaven and hell are conditions of life that we exist in, depending on the things that we go through. The vast majority of people try to do their best, provide for their families, and live normal, decent lives. That's all I've done. What happens along the way may be fate, acts of God, good or bad luck, karma, or other concepts. Does anyone really know for sure? And why do we all care so much that we always want to know? Here I am, 57 years old today, and back sitting on the log by the stream where I like to go and relax. I come here randomly, but regularly, to sit and think. I don't talk out loud to myself because someone told me once that people who do that are crazy, and I surely do not want to think of myself as crazy, though I am sure some others may think of me as crazy. So I sit and I think, today is a nice day, a bit warmer than usual, and spring seems to be coming a little early this year because I see some of the wild orange poppies are blooming over there. One of the big old bullfrogs is sitting not too far away from me on the other end of the log, looking at me and probably wondering why I have come to interfere with his space. I don't know one bullfrog from the other, but I have a feeling they know me by now. Since I have been coming to this same spot for many years, I, I'm guessing... The old bullfrogs tell the younger ones to watch out for me because, well, because when I was younger, I sometimes would throw rocks at them. That was many years ago in the past, so maybe they have forgiven me or forgotten about it. I'm not really sure. I hope they have because I like them now and, and I do cherish their lives. I am not who some think I am. And I am not even sure if I know who I am. Do any of us really know who we are or what has made us who we are? I believe all of us think about that from time to time. I think most teenagers think about it on a fairly regular basis. When I entered high school in the 10th grade, I was seriously contemplating who I was and what the universe was all about. For years, I had been reading the morning L.A. Times because my father made us read the paper. And I would see it sitting on the kitchen table when I got up. 
And always across the top, in bold letters, it stated the daily deaths in the Vietnam War. It seemed that war was just a part of everyone's lives at that time. It was always on people's minds and often a topic of conversations. I had only been in school a month or so, and my English teacher, who looked like a Viking goddess with red hair and a body to match that any 15-year-old boy would fantasize about, gave us an assignment to write an essay on any topic we wished. My first year in high school. We had a week to complete it, and it had to be a minimum of four typewritten pages. I was inspired, mostly because of her beauty, and I wanted to impress her, but at the same time, I thought it was pretty cool I could write on any topic I wanted to. So my essay was on, quote, why there is no God, unquote. Now, don't stop reading or listening. Don't get me wrong. I had no intention of making anyone feel uncomfortable, inadequate, or even expecting that anyone other than my Viking hippie goddess of a teacher would read it. But it didn't turn out that way. In reality, I strongly believed in God. I was trying to put together my studies from over the summer and a theory that made fairly logical sense. I'd been in debate clubs and I knew how to take one side of an argument I had been reading a lot of physics books over the summer and was really trying to understand the universe for my own sake. So I picked that topic. In a nutshell, I wrote a very simple scientific theory based on the present understanding of the universe at the time from a totally physics point of view. I presented the two most popular theories, which at the time stated we lived in an ever-expanding universe or we lived in, in an expanding and contracting universe. In both of those scenarios, the concept of infinity was just assumed. Well, that eliminated the possibility of any so-called, quote, creator, unquote. There was no possibility of any deity or creator being outside of infinity. So that forced the idea of a deity constantly creating another deity. I came to the conclusion that the universe just, quote, is, unquote. And that eliminates it being, quote, created, unquote. My essay was 12 pages typed. She was in shock. My teacher was in shock. She forced me to read my essay to the class, and I got an A+. The reading of my essay to the class was extremely embarrassing for me because I knew every single person in that class, many of them, my friends, believed in God and the majority of them went to church. Well, some parents complained to the school. My teacher had to defend her grading it and A-plus to her superiors. And it was not a good start to my first year in high school. My family history in America from my father's side traces back to the first immigrants that were landed in Plymouth. We were part of the English settlements along the eastern seaboard. When the Mayflower landed in 1620 and the Puritan settlements were established, there were some Harmons amongst them. My relatives were not the religious ones looking for religious freedom 
And no matter how much history tells you that all of the people that came at that time were looking for religious freedom, that is far from the truth. We were considered the, quote, strangers, unquote, the ones seeking relief from the economic oppression in England at the time. We have German, English, and Scottish blood in our family background. We did not come to America for religious freedom. It was for a chance at a new beginning, a new life, and maybe some adventure. The Harmon name actually has its own coat of arms. Quote, what's in a name? That which we call a rose, by any other name, would smell so sweet. Unquote. William Shakespeare. The Harmon name has often been misspelled. The original name was spelled Quote, H-A-R-M-O-N, unquote. Growing up, I often had Jewish friends ask me if I was Jewish because <clears throat> Harmon is often associated with Jewish heritage. There is no Jewish heritage in my family. Most likely, the name got changed along the way because it was easier to pronounce as Harmon with an A instead of Harmon with an O. The surname Harmon, most likely, is of patronymic origin coming from, quote, son of Harmon, unquote. The coat of arms is a red with silver man dressed in a gold suit of armor holding a hatchet and a gold shield. According to historical research, our coat of arms represents a people of fortitude and creative power. That sounds good to me. I don't know how much of that really counts or matters over a long period of time, though, but it's, it's nice to know. The fact doesn't change, though, that I am 57 years old. I'm sitting on this log looking at a bullfrog that is looking back at me and getting ready to leap into the stream. Oh, there he goes. Wow, that was a pretty good leap. I don't care too much about ancient family history, really. Not right now, because even though my life is fairly good, there are parts of it that, that aren't so good. I have wanted to leap sometimes just like that bullfrog, but not into the water. I have thought about taking my own life one too many times. I have to be honest and say that the vast majority of dilemmas that I have been in were caused by my own actions. Yet still, sometimes I, I feel like I just want to end it all. My Uncle Glenn, whose story I've already put on this podcast, and I, I will tell some of it later in this podcast, says that I'm a, I'm a lot like his father, my grandfather, and that I have that harm and temper. I'm not sure if that is a partly genetic thing or because of various things that I've gone through in my life. Well, I was close to my grandfather, though, and he died over 25 years ago when he was 89 years old. I was probably closer to him than anyone in my life. I never really saw him with any temper. He was the one person I could go to and talk about my problems. Like me, he was a good listener, and, and he waited until I had told him the complete story before he offered any advice. I like listening to people's stories. I really do. I, I try, like everyone, to discern what is factual and what is not, but, 
But in the long run, if it's a good story, I think it's worth listening to. So I hear it out. My wife likes to say I don't get to the point quickly enough, but English is her second language. Well, I probably shouldn't have said that, and it makes no difference that English is her second language. I usually do make my point fairly quickly, at least I think that I do, and then I try to justify my points with some type of facts that I have, but I think she is right, though. I, I can, at times, be a little long-winded. So just about exactly one year ago, I was sitting in the Santa Monica jail. It was cold and dank. I hate jails. I was only there for eight hours or so, but it, still, it was pretty depressing. It wasn't the first time I had sat in a jail, so I sort of expected the harassment the sheriffs like to dish out when they process you in. Anyone that has ever been in jail will know exactly what I am talking about, and those that have not been in jail really do not need to know. Why I was there was not because I had any bad intentions in what I did, but that didn't matter. I still lost my temper, and I punched someone I shouldn't have punched. I was training at the time with New York Life Insurance, and that one action of hitting the wrong person threw that midlife career change right down the toilet. I was looking forward to selling life insurance with New York Life because, well, they were going to spend a lot of money on me to market my services in my city because I was fairly well known. I'd spent a good portion of my adult life volunteering in my community. I'd raised my son on my own. I had knew all the teachers and schools and a lot of business people. I had gained a lot of trust and respect from a lot of people. But I knew the career was over as I sat in jail and a career that never actually started. And sure enough, the state of California took away my insurance license a few months later. The past year, I have felt lost and depressed. I started taking Valium on occasion at night to sleep. Otherwise, I would just stay up all night with my mind, racing over things that I had discovered about my father, my own problems, and trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life. I've stopped the Valium now, which is a good thing, and I'm sleeping better at night. My wife is in her third year of nursing school, and over the past few years, I've had to adapt to receiving less and less attention from her. We've been married over 10 years and have had a very steady relationship. Maybe I'm just getting too old for her, I think sometimes, but she says it's because she's busy and that she wants to enjoy her college life. She had our stepdaughter, Brenda, when she was 15 years old in Brazil. Brenda, now 17 years old and a candidate for a valedictorian at the high school and is getting a full academic scholarship to USC, UC Davis, excuse me. Let's update that now. She got a second degree and now she's a nurse in Tacoma, right in the middle of the COVID crisis. I like to feel I had a big part in Brenda's success and bringing, bringing her up because she came to the USA when she was eight years old. But anyone that is a step-parent knows that you never really get that much credit for anything. You always feel like you're walking on hot coals and the least little thing you do wrong is amplified because the stepchild has their image in their head of their real parent, 
being the perfect person on this face of the earth. And it doesn't matter how much time they spent with them, they still view that real parent as someone that's almost a god. I try to take it all with a grain of salt, though, and nowadays Brenda's an adult and she knows the reality. So I go about my business of doing my best, and I gave her a lot of attention, drove her to school, and gave her money so that she could have fun activities. We're in touch all the time now. At least both my wife and stepdaughter were, were very easy to go in and relax people because if they weren't, I'm not sure I could have kept up the role I needed to play for both of them. The past six months or so, my wife had been going out often with her friends to clubs, drinking and dancing. She's a nurse now also. I am pretty much over the jealousy and suspicion that lingered on in my mind. I, I think it's a good part of that was just from taking the Valium. It made me feel tired and paranoid. I really don't know what my future holds, and I've sort of resigned myself to living one day at a time. I golf when I can, and I write when, when I feel like it. A few good things came out of going to jail that time. I had to do 50 hours of anger management, and I was lucky to be able to do it with the guru of anger management himself, George Anderson. His office was on Wilshire Boulevard in Santa Monica near my home. And I walked right in and there he was. I had no idea that he was the guru of anger management. He was able to teach me a lot about myself that I didn't know. He was the person who consulted on the movie, Anger Management. I realized I was a passive aggressive personality type I had not been that way my whole life. When I was 15 years old, I was attacked by a gang and beaten up pretty badly. I had spouted off my mouth, standing up against some stupid comment a kid made about my dad because my father had at that time what was called a lazy eye, and he squinted all the time. Later, he had an operation that cured him of the problem. After I got all beat up, I became passive-aggressive because before I was a very different person. I think we all have events that change and shape our lives, so that had to be the one that changed me the most, I believe. Both my older sister and I were beat at home with belts, and even in our junior high school we were beaten or given swats. Well, my sister didn't get any, but I did, with the paddle on more than one occasion. None of it compared, though to being repeatedly hit in the face, kicked and pummeled with no hope of any self-defense. Even worse was the fact I had no anger or any issues with the people beating me up. It was during a period when racial tensions were high in the U.S. Martin Luther King had been killed a few, a few, a year or six months before. I, I didn't have any prejudice in my body and actually where I lived, everyone had friends of various ethnicities, as did I. So when the gang of almost all African-American kids, some of them actually adults, decided that my comma was just too harsh in defense of my father, they decided to band together and beat me up. Only one of them knew me, and that was Derek Thurman. His younger cousin, Dennis Smith, who is now a Hall of Fame NFL player, 
He got in a few punches too. I had just stood up for my dad because I didn't like the comment Derek made and Derek and I both knew we were just joking, but other people didn't take it as a joke. So the gang mentality ruled and I got beat up. Violence does turn people into passive-aggressive personality types, and it did with me. After that, I rarely expressed any emotions when I felt hurt. Instead, I held those feelings inside until one incident would ignite me and I would lash out. In general, though, most of the time, I was always very composed and never had any thoughts of lashing out at anyone, even if I'd been wronged unjustly. I think for most people that have spent even one day in jail, after that, you really do not like putting anyone else in jail for any reason, especially for something petty. Being a passive-aggressive personality, it actually helped me in sports for quite a while, and I probably would become a professional athlete. I was able to hold on to whatever emotions built up inside of me and then take them out on my opponents in a game situation. I had what was called attention deficit disorder, though, and so I just played too many sports, and probably that's why I never pursued one to become a professional athlete. I learned about the ADD, attention deficit disorder, when, when I was older, and I decided to go to a psychiatrist for a few visits after I was released from the jail. I went to him because I found out some things about the death of my mother 20 years ago, and that had left me shocked and unsettled emotionally. During the third session with him, he asked me a slew of questions. I had answers that I just thought everyone else did, like reading more than one book at a time. I really thought everyone just did that because some books were just more exciting than others. And in his school, we all had to read more than one book at a time anyway. Other answers to questions like how often I forgot where I parked my car or how often I misplaced my keys and other questions, they gave me away and he diagnosed me with ADD. But he, he told me that I had coped very well all my life, so there was no reason for him to prescribe any drugs. Most likely I would not have taken them if he had prescribed them anyway. Sometimes sitting on this log is a bit uncomfortable, but the surroundings make up for it. There are times that I've seriously wanted to hurt people because I felt so angry at what they've done to me, but I knew in the long run it was my doing or my fault. But my only solace at those times was to get away, and that's why I'm sitting on this log. And it's a place that I can come and compose myself. My mind always seems to be working overtime. And, and when I, I needed to have it slowed down, well, this was the place I needed to come. You know, the way the light filters through the old oak trees gives a sensation of time and place that it's just unchanged and peaceful. Really, peace is all I have ever really sought in my life. I have given a lot of myself to help a lot of people and all I ever really wanted to do was to have peace in return. I raised five kids, four of them stepkids. And I'm not the person that ever sought out any fame or fortune. I raised my son 
on my own as a single father, which was rare to get full custody of a child in California. I've never been good with money, and that's not so much because I would spend too much of it, but because I would use it to do things for others, mostly for other people that I loved. I do want peace in my life, and especially I want my overthinking mind to sort of slow down. Sometimes I believe maybe that I've had too many concussions, you know, from sports, and, and my brain goes off on tangents more than it should. I don't really know, though, for sure. It's sort of like that old adage, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I do not know that I can't change what's been done in the past, and I, but I know I can't. But I tend to think that I can like everybody else does and replay it in my mind and it's different, but it's not. You know, I, I guess I'm just going to have to sit here for a while longer on this log Try to relax and enjoy the sounds of nature. Maybe that bullfrog will hop back up on the other end of the log and stare at me again. I like it when he stares at me. Now I can feel the sun as it warms me up. The morning is moving on. It is really a nice day. I feel a lot calmer now. To be continued.